Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Wisdom of, of the Warrior podcast, where we discuss the wisdom spirit in the modern-day world. Joining me is a guy that's like a brother to me, Dave Sitiwajana, former professional boxer, entrepreneur, and founder of the Diesel Muay Thai system. Dale, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So a lot of people don't know our our past, and Dale and I uh, met, what is that, like 15 years ago now? I think so, yeah. It's got to be about 15 years now. Yeah, you were uh, how old? You were a teenager at the time, I think. I think I was... Fifteen when I first met you. Wow, that is that is a long time ago. <laughs> we uh, we we trained together in uh, Vegas with his, his father, Master Tati, when I was first becoming uh, promoted as a crew uh, under Master Tati. I met him, and we've become friends ever since. We've followed each other's careers, and and now here we are meeting again and uh, trying to change the world in in our own little way, right? That's right. Yeah, it's been a great journey. I mean, we even got to train together. I remember you helped me spar and prepare and even cornered me in Thailand, which was a great experience. Yeah, and if you guys, uh, he's being very generous. Spar and prepare, meaning that I was a very good punching back for him in Thailand. (laughs) He was very generous to me. (laughs) Don't believe it. (laughs) Uh, I actually have that video that I'll post on the show notes of uh, us doing like just some playing around and sparring in the ring when we were in when we were in Thailand. That was a pretty fun experience. I had just gotten off a plane and flown there and then drove to the, the gym and Master Toddy was like, Hey, get your gear on and you're gonna spar with my son. I was like, Okay, great, great, let's do this and uh that was that was a pretty good time. Yeah, that's so, that's a typical day in Thailand. As soon as you get off the plane, you go and train right away and uh whatever the coach or master asks you to do, that's pretty much how it goes. Yeah, that is the way we handle jet lag in Thailand. <laughs> That's <laughs> Beat it out of you, right? So yep. tell, tell everyone a little bit about yourself because you have a very, first of all, you have a very eclectic name um, because you come from a very eclectic background. So tell everyone uh, where you're from and um, how you got into what you're doing now, how you got into Muay Thai. Okay, sure. Well, I was born with my mother in Manchester, England. And when I was about 12 years old, I uh, discovered or rediscovered uh, my father, who is Masatati, and, you know, very intrigued at a young age. You know, I wanted to get into Muay Thai because I always had a fascination with martial arts. And so um, I got in contact with my father. He flew me out to Vegas. Um, I got to see one of the big promotions here at the Stardust Hotel. It was like an all-women's fight night. And right there and then, I decided that I wanted to do Muay Thai full-time. I wanted to learn it, train it, teach it, everything about it. That was the decision. So uh, about a year later, I moved to Vegas, and I started training and doing Muay Thai and helping a lot of fighters train. Um, And then a couple years later, I got into boxing, professional boxing. So from there... My journey took me to Thailand, and I started competing in Thailand. I would also get fights back home in Vegas, so I would fly frequently back and forth to compete. And uh, and then, long story short, I realized how much I enjoy teaching because it's it seems very similar for somebody who fights, uh, you know, to teach or somebody who teaches to fight, but they're two very very different things, um, and there's a lot of there's a lot of homework that goes into them. And so that's what I decided was best for me. I love to teach, and so I've taken that path ever since. Right. A lot of people don't realize it's like the art of teaching and the art of fighting are are almost two separate arts within the same umbrella, that they're, they're different skill sets that, you know, some, some people are – there's a very rare breed that can both fight and teach. Um, you are one of them. But there is a different skill set that goes in, in that, and that's, it's great to hear that, uh, that you decided to focus on that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it really is. You're absolutely right. You hit it right on the head that it is a different skill. You know, as a fighter, it all comes down to you. You're the only one who's in the ring or the cage. Uh, when it comes down to it, you have to make the decisions when you're in there. But when you embrace becoming a teacher – 
you're, you're thinking more about the others that are involved. It's how, how can I best communicate and, you know, expand the knowledge that you have and give it to other people. Right. And that takes a, it takes a very expansive mindset because I, I know for a fact that there's, there's guys that can go out there and, and be a champion with, a very small arsenal of weapons, right? They, they have a few things, have a good right hand, good low kick, and maybe a de- decent push kick or teep, and they can go be a world champion, but to be able to pass it on to someone else who may not have their same attributes, their same mindset, is a completely different thing. So it, it, you have to be a lot more open-minded and, and uh, have a, a lot more of a um, well-rounded arsenal, don't you think? I definitely do think that. And you also have to find new ways to teach. Uh, or new ways to communicate what it is you're teaching because, you know, what I found is that, you know, I had a certain style that was developed, but when it came to me passing on my knowledge to other students, you know, they had been trained differently. They they had a different personality in their fighting style. And so I had to find a way to implement good techniques and strategies that would work, but in a way that they still felt they were in control and could use and apply what they were learning. Because I, I often see the difference in, you know, sometimes you, you have a great fighter um, who necessarily isn't really progressing himself. He's, you know, he's just taking the orders and demands from the corner, but it's not really him. Right. So he may put together, you know, good combinations, but without that coach or trainer or mentor, he's kind of lost. And so being able to teach your students how to kind of think for themselves is is something that's very paramount in our in our training as well, right? Yeah, yeah. That that's that's really what it comes down to. Is is the student really comfortable and confident that they can use these techniques in any situation and will they? So tell everyone about uh your when you when you first came over to the United States, you you literally lived in the gym. Like, I remember when I first visited Master Tati's gym in Vegas, you had a room upstairs in his gym, right? That's right, yep. <laughs> I think that when I when I walked in, Dale was either in his room watching videotapes, old tie fights, or he was on the floor throughout an entire 24-hour period. He was doing one of those two things. <laughs> the most dedicated guy I've ever seen. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um you know, it, it comes down to it, you know, observe, study, practice. Like, you, if that's what you want to do, if you have a particular sport that you're really interested in or anything that you're really interested in, um, you know, you got to observe it first. you got to look at what is it that I'm trying to do, you know, and then study, study the winners in that field, like who's doing the best, like who's winning, and then practice it. I like I like the way you broke down those three things because those are concepts that you can apply to anything. The whole the whole theme of the the podcast is is embracing that warrior spirit in the modern day world. And for fighters, for example, how can you take some of these these skill sets and take them outside of the gym or off your mat and uh, and apply them to your everyday world, whether it be your job, your relationships, um, any type of endeavor you might have. So being able to observe something and then study it from the best, and then ultimately implementing it is pretty much the, the basic formula of success for anything that you put your, your work into, right? Right, yeah, it comes down to it. I mean, once you've observed it, once you've studied it, then it's the practice, practice, practice. And do you feel like in the modern-day setting, the uh, the practice aspect of it is fully embraced? I have I a, guess. And I say that because I, I the, the thing that I have always struggled with in, in, in a certain generation of kids that I'm teaching now is that they, they enjoy the art and they want to be world champions. But in order to put in the amount of time in order to get good at it, that's hard to motivate people. Do you, you ever find that as an obstacle as far as teaching? And if so, how do you, how do you address that? I know exactly what you mean. It it is uh it is tough. It's a tough subject to touch on really because it seems to be the general thing these days where, you know, people come into the gym and you know, just like how martial arts has changed, before people would come in and they'd want to learn martial arts, they'd either want to learn it for self defense 
all they want to get in shape, and so they had a goal, and they just go right to it. Now the thing to be is a UFC fighter or, um, you know, the next champion of the world, but sometimes with some students, the intention isn't there. I think they kind of get lost in, uh, how do you put it, like the, the, the way the media and the way that probably the influence of people around them kind of portray martial arts now. The, the new thing to be is a, is a fighter, not a martial artist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's that uh, the glitz and glamour that kind of is associated with um, being in a cage and, and this kind of rock star lifestyle that, that people think fighting is, right? Yeah, that, that's exactly it. I mean, there's, there's a lot of depth to it, and uh, basically that's the gist of it, I feel. Um, and so what I do is, you know, I just kind of explain to the person, okay, this is, this is what I'm going to need you to do. This is going to be the most important step of learning the basics and then applying them. Uh, and that's really the ultimate test for me is, is that basic step. I'm going to show you something and then I want you to practice it. Hmm. See if they can do that. So I, I heard that you use the word martial arts, um, to describe your art, which is Muay Thai and boxing. Yeah. There seems to be a, a, a modern-day appearance or, or, or way of looking at combat sports, just that, that it's a sport. And you seem to address it more of the martial arts standpoint. Do you feel that Muay Thai traditionally was looked at as a martial art from a Thailand perspective? And how has that changed as it's come over to the United States? That's a really good question. I mean, uh, from the perspective of Thailand, <clears throat> wow. Um, well, definitely, I think the rest of the world, especially America, is catching up to Muay Thai. Uh, you know, they got a late start on it. You know, the mm -hmm. European Muay Thai and kickboxing a lot earlier than America did. But, you know, generally around the world, we're catching up to Muay Thai. Because of the, uh, the 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 general conception, like you, if when thinking about Thailand, it's like these kids are fighting six, seven years old. They're training six hours a day. By the time they're, you know, twenty years old, they have a hundred and some fights. And in America, naturally, we don't start that young at martial arts. Although it's that's starting to change, right? Um, so, what do you think it is that is allowing us to catch up? Is it the Technology is it just the way of the approach of, of coaching? What do you think that is? I think it is the technology. I really think it is because you know before what you were describing when I was younger and I used to sit in front of the, the you know the DVD player and I had hundreds of tapes of fights from the fifties, sixties, seventies, you know every era of Muay Thai and they, you know we used to have these videotapes and we just watched them. That was the way to learn. Now you just plug it in on YouTube, and you can watch any fighter train anywhere in the world. So I think the advancement is, you know, part of that thing of the practice, you know, being able to observe it. Like, you can see it now instantly. No delay. Uh, so uh, I think... Yeah, it, you it know, enhances the observing aspect of of the learning curve because, you know, before technology, if you wanted to watch 100 fights, you literally had to go to 100 of fights, whereas now you can literally sit in your home and watch 100 fights back-to-back-to-back to back to back with the push of a button. Exactly. Honestly, speaking from the perspective of Thailand, I think uh, it is a sport for them, but it is deeply rooted in culture, and that's what separates it. You know, the, the, the Thai people are very cultural, um, and Muay Thai is their national sport. Being said that, you know, like you described about the young kids fighting at an early age, having 150 fights already, a lot of them are doing it to get out of certain situations that they're in, that the families are in. Mm. In the West, now that it is catching on, I think they do embrace it a little bit more as a martial art. Um, and I'm talking about the people who actually, you know, travel to Thailand who learn how to teach, want to learn the ways. Um, I don't know, you, you have a lot of different perspectives, but that's what I feel. Mm. You know, um, I think definitely MMA and mixed martial arts has helped Muay Thai grow just because of its popularity that, you know, oh, why did that guy learn a kick like that? Or, 
you know, uh, you can trace it back to Muay Thai. So the people who are really interested in martial arts and the culture, they get hooked into the into it as a martial art, not as a sport. Mm. You know, it's, it's it's fascinating talking about it because I feel you've you've had an extensive um, experience, not only being in Thailand but training and fighting in Thailand. Do you think that like the people in America kind of romanticize what's actually going over in Thailand because? You know, we we come over here, and we when we think about the the culture and the tradition, we do look at it as very much a martial art. But you put it very well that it, it's a sport rooted deeply in culture, which is a lot or slightly different than saying it's a martial art, right? Like I'm, you think about martial arts on the traditional perspective, that it's this um, intrinsic practice where we're doing these things on the outside of our body to, to, to warm our bodies up so that we can kind of gain, gain some introspective and live more masterful lives. But Thailand, the fighting in Thailand may or may not necessarily be about that. Um, could you speak to that a little bit? Sure, yeah. So, you know, what's interesting is when I, I had, when I was younger, like I said, up, you know, up to um, 10, 11 years old, that was my ultimate dream. I wanted to go to Thailand. I wanted to live in a training camp. Uh, that's all I wanted to do. Um, you know, and then I did that when I moved to Las Vegas with my father and his team of trainers. You know, I embraced that lifestyle to its fullest. Then when I did get the opportunity to go to Thailand, um, my first experience, I was actually quite taken back because... I noticed what I wanted to do and what I thought this was when I got there and seen it for myself. It wasn't quite that way. And what I mean about that is, you know, fighters are extremely professional. Uh, you know, it's do or die to them when they get in the ring. But I had a lot of friends in Thailand that, you know, they would open up and they would tell me, uh, you know, if I had any other choice, I would not be doing this. If I only had access to education, if my family only had more money, this is not what I would be doing. And I was really taken back by that. Interesting. It's almost like how boxing is to the inner city youth here in the States. Right. Mm. See, the way, this is just my opinion. But a lot of times I think that people get into these combat sports, uh, especially the, you know, the, the brutal side of it, um, because they're trying to discover something in themselves. Perhaps they, they have their own fight they're going through, um, mm-hmm. and you know, this will, uh, they will find themselves within it some way. But when I did that, I found I truly wasn't happy doing that in the sport. I wasn't happy fighting. Uh, if anything, I got more detached from finding my own purpose. What it was for me and what I do now, I still train now, but I, I enjoy it purely as a martial art. Well, from a martial art perspective, I train because, um, you know, I just want to get better. I want to use the principles that I learned in Muay Thai and in boxing, and I want to carry them in life. Right. And that, that is the essentially the major difference between how what Muay Thai is here and what it is over there, that we gen, tend to, even at, mm. I think even at a professional level, even you see the professional Muay Thai fighters, can't speak for all mixed martial arts fighters, but I know for, for Muay Thai fighters that, um, first of all, fighting as a professional athlete in the United States, you're not getting paid that much. There's a very few people that are making any money in it, so... To, to hear someone say that they're fighting because they're going to go pro because they want to make money, that's not going to happen. Um, but generally, they are searching for something. They're looking for some type of identity within it, and then ultimately, if they're guided correctly by their instructor, they could find a little bit more about themselves that could maybe play into other aspects of their life. Yeah, I mean, if you, I mean, going back to the purpose thing, I mean, you'll find in life that there's three three factors to it. I mean, there's the be, the do, and the have. And a lot of people get those reversed. They think that they have to have, right? They'll have all this. Then they'll be able to do what they want, and then ultimately they will be what they dream to be. But it's actually the other way around. 
Oh. More important to be than it is to do, and it's more important to do than it is to have. But these factors are switched. And so maybe that is the uh, that, that that's interesting because I look at when I went to Vegas, I moved out to Vegas for that period of time, which is when we got reacquainted after uh, Thailand. Um, I went I went out there wanting to coach mixed martial artists. I was kind of in search for myself, and I thought that my identity would be in coaching fighters. If I can go have this career as a, a fighter, then I can do what I want, and then I can be this person that uh, I wanted to be. I wanted to be this, this person that was revered for my craft. But I found when I got out there that that train of thought was flawed and most of the fighters out there, because they had that same train of thought, were were living very unhappy lives, right? They're, they're doing drugs. They're um, yeah. you know cheating on their, 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 their significant others or leaving their coaches to go get a better career. And... Like you went to Thailand and discovered that. I went to Vegas and discovered that. And that's not the same that all Vegas is bad because I have some great friends, including yourself, that live in Vegas. But the fight world, the mixed martial arts world, is very um, interested in that. It is. It is. And, I mean, again, going back to and, – and, again, we're, we're not talking about any specific person or everybody in that field, but, you know, fighting, uh, you know, there's there's – there's higher points on the emotional tone scale than there is to be in anger and wanting to fight. You know, there's also wanting to, um, you know, be happy and enthusiastic. And, you know, you don't find a lot of fighters in that state a lot of the time. And when I was looking up the word warrior spirit, and I found the word warrior is one who is engaged aggressively or energetically in an activity, cause, or battle. And the word spirit is a force or principle believed to animate living beings. Huh. So what you're saying is I picked a very good name for my podcast. <laughs> it's a very good name. It's a very good name. I mean, it has meaning, right? Yeah, yeah. So you're looking to to train warriors. You're looking to train warriors out there and and, and and say that definition again because I, re, I really I really like that I really enjoy yeah. that idea of embodiment. So warrior means one who is engaged aggressively or energetically in an activity, cause, or battle. So he's all in. Yeah, he's engaged. His you know his beingness is to achieve something here, and spirit you know simply broken down is a force or principle believed to animate living beings. Therefore, we're going back about, you know, a lot of times in martial arts, not in martial arts, um, I refer to sports or combat sports and fighting. You know, uh, a being is trying to discover himself. He's trying to find himself. But he can decide to be whatever he wants to be at any time. So how is it that we get lost? Mm. And that goes back to that um, that backwards principle of have, having first and doing and then ultimately being de- defined of who I am as a result of those things first. Right. Mm. Right. And very similar to like uh, Simon Sinek's um, Start With Why, right? The, uh, the, the the circle where you start off with looks like That's a right. the golden circle, right? You, got, you have your, your, your what on the outside and then your how proprietary way that you do that but then at the core there's the why the and not just the why for like making money or or finishing something but the at your core what is the emotional drive behind who you are and why you do anything in the first place right starting from the inside and working your way out rather than going from the outside and trying to design yourself within yeah yeah like i mean there's a lot of fighters that i've had under me um, that I actually tried to talk to on more of this level of an understanding of life and what it is that they're trying to do and achieve versus, you know, me being the coach that, you know, drills them to death and makes them fight all the time. You know, I want to see them happy. I want them to understand that, you know, if they do this, that they are choosing to do this, but 
from a higher perspective, not with the instinct that I just want to fight and I want to have a lot of money and, you know, I'll, I'll, any actions that I take, I got no consequences for it. Mm. Yeah, you're, you're addressing their, their internal drive, their internal why first rather than... In, I mean, yeah. their personal integrity and their own ethics because if those are low, it's never going to work anyway. Do you find that um, people, when they're under duress, a lot of their their character is is exposed? Do you do you find that the the physical practice of of doing martial arts with that with that focus of it being an intrinsic thing? Do you find that makes people um, develops more character when they're under duress? And I say that because I one of the problems that I've recognized in society is that everyone is peaceful when they're at the top of the mountain. It's something I talk about in my book. It's, you know, we can meditate upon peace and tranquility when we're at the top of the mountain and everything is surreal and calm. But when we step into the jungle when everything's trying to kill us is when our true character kind of comes out. And do you feel that the physical practice of martial arts helps people in maintain their integrity when they're under pressure? Absolutely so. And I think that the, the most wonderful thing about martial arts when you train, and everybody says it, it brings you right into present time. The worry, the stress, the anxiety, uh, what happened, you know, an hour ago, what's going to happen an hour later, all that goes away. <laughs> so intent on what you're doing that you just kind of just, you know, you snap right into the now. And it's, it's amazing what that can do for you. Mm. You know, I had a yeah, I had another instructor I was talking to just yesterday, and he and he said, you know, uh, I have some problems in life, but I'm not going to let them define me. He says, when I come here, I can be myself, I can have fun, I relax, I absolutely love martial arts. That's what he said. And I find that, and I find that more and more with students. Uh, because that's my intention. Those are the type of students that I personally only like to work with. People who are using these, the people who are using this study to understand themselves. You know, not to cause, you know, uh, unnecessary conflict or, you know, just to have a name so they can brag about themselves, which is not always the case. Um, but, you know, with any physical contact sport, how can I say it? Uh, a lot of times it can make a person very reactive. You know, yes. that pain of consciousness can can, um, can have quite an effect upon a person. Hmm. Yeah, we talk about um, the difference between a reaction and a response in the, the Muay Thai University um, as part of the character development side of it and the idea that a response is just a response basically means there's more temporal or mental space between the stimuli and the action involved, whereas a reaction is that quick time between the stimulus and the and the response. So the snake jumps out of the road. I, I jump away from the snake. I don't have time to think about whether it's a green snake or a copperhead. I've got things programmed in my DNA that go, if there's a snake, you jump away from it. And although that reaction is great for that type of combative situation, it isn't great for our normal interactions with human beings, and we tend to walk around in a very reactive state as human beings, right? Yeah, that's that's really great the way you explained it. Um, And I really like the way you've incorporated the word response because, you know, like we were saying, I mean, reactive can be very bad. And and the difference is, I feel, is – you know, are you at cause and control over your emotions and your actions and your thinking? Because if you're reactive to those things, you're at effect of them. Hmm, that again. So we'll we, we break it down basically into two kinds, two kinds of thought. There's analytical thought and reactive thought. Well, in reactive thought, there really is no thought. 
it's everything equals one. So you talk about that reactiveness. Uh, gosh, I mean, uh, what man evolved from, you know, in the jungle. Uh, if he if he's walking past the tree and a lion jumps out and attacks him and nearly kills him, well, now every time he walks by a tree, he's expecting a lion to kill him. Right. Right. You know, he starts to identify everything as the same with, you know, um, with sometimes with physical sports and, you know, you're taking a lot of punishment, that can occur. But, you know, with the response, like you were talking, is you're in control of the action and the thought behind it. Hmm. And that, that, that analogy of the tree and the lion fits really well with how people tend to approach their, their, their personal life because, you know, how many, they say that it only takes about something only has to be 7% like an old experience for someone to react in the exact same way as that experience. So that's actually right. Yeah. So if I walk by, uh, you know, a tree and a lion jumps out and every time I see a tree, I think lion. Well, how many times have people or even myself, how many times have I done that in a relationship, right? Somebody says something, my brain immediately goes back to something that happened to me as a childhood. That's my tree. And that's the lion jumping out of it. And now I'm acting now as if that traumatic experience from the past is happening in the present. Exactly. That's exactly what happens. I mean, it can literally ruin a person's life. Mm. And so what are some exercises or, uh, or or ways that people can, well, we're basically talking about mindfulness now, being aware of our thoughts and the patterns of our thoughts so that we can, we can be in control of the machine rather than having the machine in control of us, essentially. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, what, are, what are some practices that you use in order to, uh, either teach mindfulness or, or practice mindfulness? Well, first of all, I read a book called Dianetics, and that literally from that, from, you know, learning about that from then on has changed uh, changed my life completely, the way I look at life. <clears throat> that explains to a person what's going on with his, with his mind, you know. Uh, you have the analytical mind and the reactive mind, and it just goes into detail about how a person things throughout life and how they can get rid of it. So that was where I, that's where I take my lessons from, is the studies from this research. Okay. Well, for people who no. are unaware of Dianetics, Dianetics uh, comes from, comes from the Scientology realm, which I, I guess most is mostly misunderstood by a, by a lot of people, I'm assuming, right? Well, all they got to do is find the book. I mean, that was the, the first book that he researched on and then wrote. Um, all they'd have to do, if, if they're interested, is to look for it and read it. That's it. Mm. But going back to it, you know, that I, I take a lot of the principles that I've learned from that, um, and I apply them to martial arts, but more importantly to myself and to my students. So they become aware of these things. Okay. Because I don't, I, the, the, the one thing that hurts me the most is to see somebody get into this sport or this martial arts for the wrong reasons and start sliding down the wrong path. So my job as a teacher is to educate them, you know, on these things and make sure they take the right path. Okay. And then the, are there, are there, so really what the what the book and your studying has done because I I remember I remember seeing a shift in the way you uh present yourself on 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 uh social media and and actually you and I talked right before a pivotal shift in my life when I decided to uh become a strategic intervention coach and um help people with 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 counseling and coaching from a mental psychological and spiritual perspective um, I remember having a conversation with you about this, which would actually help me in my shift, which I'm forever grateful for. So thank you for that. <laughs> um, oh, um, wow, that's great. I mean, it seems like we're on a similar wavelength. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the stuff that you were telling me on the phone was really resonated with me, and um, you spoke to me about the Dianetics. And some of it was very uh, similar to some, some of the studies that I've done 
with yoga in the essence of just being aware of how your mind works. And then right. in, that, in that awareness, you can start making different decisions that can guide you to a more happy and fulfilled life. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, uh, it's there for anybody who wants the knowledge. That's basically what it comes down to is if you're willing to reach for it, it's there for you. So moving moving ahead, you are, are, are branding a very strong presence with your, your Muay Thai, your diesel Muay Thai. And I know that, uh, first of all, you, you, you went to the boxing world rather than fighting Muay Thai. Um, and I remember when that occurred, there, yeah. there was a pivotal decision that made you go into boxing rather than Muay Thai, at least from your father's perspective. But from your perspective, why, why was that the move rather than fighting in the sport of Muay Thai? <laughs> well, <laughs> that's a great I know question. why your dad wanted to because it came down to money. Um, he didn't want his son fighting for chump change. <laughs> He's gonna fight, but but what, what did it mean to you? Well, you know, definitely, um, my father did have a major factor in making a lot of those decisions for me, mm-hmm. um, and so really that that was the path that I went down because he had chosen that. Okay, and that's what was originally getting to when we opened up this podcast, you know, about an individual in the ring being able to think for themselves, you know, giving them the ability to be able to do that and make their own choices. Uh, it's it's very important. And so originally why I made the move, um, I was sold on it. Mm-hmm. I was sold on it. Uh, that's really That's really how it happened. Yeah, and quite often a lot of the things that we do in life we're 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 sold on by other people's thoughts and agendas, right? Right. Mm. So, so you know, we, yeah. we put a lot of trust in our instructors, so we we often um, we will do things that go counter to like our gut feeling because we we put our trust in our instructors and that that, that they know best for us. And in most situations, they do, but in some situations, that doesn't always become the case. Right, right. I mean, uh, the experiences I've had uh, is great. You know, when I look back at, okay, what did I do? And, and, you know, being able to say that, okay, I I experienced it, I did it, and then I made the decision to no longer carry on with that, that was the best day in life for me. Mm. It's where I took control of my own life and said, you know what, this ain't it. This is not what I want to be. This is not what I want to do. I want to be some something else, and I want to do something else. Awesome, and that's that was a big move because at one point you were even being courted by what De La Hoya and their group. Yeah, I mean, uh, I was with when I first came back to Vegas. Uh, I was with Zap Judas Promotions. Um, I got the opportunity to fight with Golden Boy. Uh, all of my sparring partners were world champions, you know, in Thailand and here in Vegas. So, you know, that's why I said I was lucky to have such a wonderful experience because I was literally brand new to boxing. I'd boxed for about three months and I was having my first professional fight, <laughs> which is, you know, kind of, a, you know, that's just the way it happened. And so, um, you know, I had a lot of good experiences with, uh, you know, with great fighters. Wow. And you know, if you guys have never seen Dale box, it's 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 artwork. And I'm gonna put some posts or some tags on our, our show notes to some of the videos with the the diesel Muay Thai and the, the mitt work and the bag work that you do. It's just it's art, man. It's freaking art. You've you've always moved in a very artistic way. But I can tell you that when you went boxing, I was happy for you because it seemed to be a very lucrative way. But I I trained with you when you were 14 and watched how beautiful your Muay Thai was, and it was a part of you that was just, like, heartbroken that you didn't fight Muay Thai, because we all wanted to see you, see you in a ring. Um, but I'm I'm so glad that you, you you made the decisions that you made, because through those decisions, you've spawned this diesel Muay Thai system, which is where you are now, right? 
Yeah, and, and thank you. Uh, you know, my ultimate goal for this, when, uh, you know, I, I started teaching again and, um, you know, I really kind of fell back in love with Muay Thai. And what I fell in love with, exactly what you said, was the the um, the, the artistry in it, like the, the way you could move and flow and execute techniques. Um, it always fascinated me to watch it. And so I wanted to duplicate that consistently. Okay, this guy kicks. I mean, you, you watch this guy roundhouse kick or elbow, and it's just like poetry. Um, I've always admired that. And so when I started training Muay Thai again, you know, that's how I wanted to move. That's how I wanted to duplicate the techniques. So it was, or I'm at the point now where I'm doing these DVDs and the online training. Um, I just want to give people the opportunity to, one, know that it's there, and two, that they can develop it too. And what I mean by that is I've broken down Muay Thai into so my first DVD was a beginner's DVD. You know, somebody who's brand new to Muay Thai will teach them, you know, all of the eight weapons uh, in a step-by-step way. But on the next ones, I exclusively focus on one weapon at a time. So the one of them that I do is like front kicks. Okay, how do you get really good? I mean, really, really good at front kicks. What are all the techniques? What are all the tricks, the tactics? How do you make it, you know, look a certain way? How do you make it work every single time? Like all of these little factors, um, I want to teach that to people. Fascinating. That's, uh, that's the way you, you break it down. So you start off by introducing all the weapons and the initial basic phase, and then from that point, treating each weapon as if it's its own separate art. Exactly, as if it's an art all by itself. Fascinating. Do you think, is there a, um, if you were to describe to people the, the diesel Muay Thai difference, right, what is the, what are some proprietary things that, that make diesel Muay Thai um, unique? I mean, I know that's one of, I, I like the, that idea that you, you spend a lot of time on tool development once you've um, broken down the eight weapons, which is a huge one, by the way, huge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's unique about it is I feel like I, I will go into the details um, of each weapon that I feel a lot of instructors now miss. I mean, you're one of the best instructors I've ever seen on the floor. The way you go into detail and explain to people why you do this, you know, what's the reason behind it? That's almost a lost art in teaching itself. A lot of teachers now come on the floor, you know, and will run, uh, they'll, they'll run just cardio, you know, or it's, you know, kick the bag uh, 500 times, but what's the technique behind it? What's the purpose? How are you supposed to do it right? And that's really what want to bring back for people is kind of that old school feel as a martial arts instructor. Mm. You know, going to put in the practice to make this a certain way. And making them aware of, of, of why they're doing what they're doing rather than just the mindless repetition of something. Right. Right. I mean, if could you imagine if a person had the knowledge of, you know, seven to eight different types of roundhouse kicks, you know, how to do them all perfectly, execute them, you know, with perfect technique and know in what scenario to use it. Mm. Could you person had that knowledge for every weapon and they choose to compete? Uh, wow, they'd just be unstoppable. Yeah, and you see it a lot in, in particularly beginner instructors where they um, they want to entertain their students so they'll teach them a lot of flashy things a ton of techniques mm-hmm. but they're there's missing the why would you do that so if i for example if i have a toolbox full of various mm-hmm. different tools it's great that i have those tools if i don't know how to use them and when to use them then they really don't help me fix anything so it's it's, it's interesting that you say that like i that that you are you're teaching the why behind 
the eight different round kicks? Like, why why do we have eight different round kicks, for example? Like, what, what are the, you know, certain holes open up with an opponent, and based upon that hole, I'm going to use that specific tool or that specific weapon in order to fill that hole. Exactly. It gives the person, you know, the history behind behind the art. Um, they really get to then choose what how they want to, you know, use the technique and when. Um, and I know, and I'm, I guess I'm looking at it from my perspective and my experience because I was lucky enough to be taught this. And so, you know, when I used to work with, you know, other partners, and I'd use these techniques, it just, I was able to advance so much faster because I had this knowledge. Mm. I really understood the art. I, um, I embraced it much more. And I enjoyed it ultimately that much more because I was constantly learning these things. If somebody sees Muay Thai and they think it's a punch, an elbow, and even a kick, you know, it is that but so much more. And it gets way more interesting when you go into the depths of it. Yeah. There's that there's that invisible art within the art that ties everything together and tells you um, why are we doing this at this specific time for this specific reason. Right. Hmm. There's you know, a, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, 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 no. That's uh, I, I interrupted you. <laughs> oh no problem. I was gonna say. Um, I was gonna say that you know one of the things that I like to practice day in day out is the roundhouse kick. You know I'm never really satisfied with a roundhouse kick because I'm always putting my attention um, on a way to make it better, whether that oh lift higher on the ball of the foot you know did i am i a millimeter off on the balance you know is uh am i executing with the right part of the shin you know how is my god all of these little factors that you can put your attention on and just keep tweaking them keep tweaking them and i think that's really where the satisfaction comes from Mm. getting people to enjoy getting people to go back to the enjoying of the process of discovery and learning rather than looking for that, that end point for the satisfaction. Yes. I had, funny story. I had a couple of students, uh, you know, about two years ago and I still had the same routine. I would go into the gym and I practice a couple hours with Muay Thai and, you know, just doing the training drills the way they were taught. And, you know, I had one or two students come in. They said, you know, we want to train. We want to train. I said, great. You know, uh, hop on a bag next to me and let's do this. Let's do 500 kicks. Hmm. Well, they didn't come back the next day. (laughs) (laughs) And that's okay, you know. And I realized that, you know, I think what it is, I really get the enjoyment out of throwing that roundhouse kick or that front kick or that knee 500 times because each time I'm doing it, it's brand new. I'm not repeating the technique. To me, it's like I've never done it before. Mm. I think maybe that hadn't been taught to them or they didn't understand that yet. That's very much into that uh, present moment awareness, the living in the now, that this moment's never happened nor will it ever happen again, right? That's it exactly, yeah. Mm. Which is a pivotal like um, paradigm shift for for me. I remember learning that uh that information through Eckhart Tolle in Power mm. Now. Yeah, that was a big, big shift. One when I was going through my yoga training that they emphasized the the idea of present moment awareness and what it meant to live in the now and it was just completely mind blowing and, and and changed my paradigm. Are there things that have occurred to you or things that you've learned in like the the last year or so that you would consider like a paradigm shift, something that actually changed the lens on the way that you looked at the world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if I was to sit here and tell you about them all, I think this podcast will be uh, <laughs> days long. <laughs> yeah, we have, we're going to have to have you back on anyway. Thank you. But um, yeah, I mean, I've had um, so many cognitions, so many, you know, wows um, just about my own life and, and wins you know, because, um, you know, you improve on a gradient scale. You know, you don't just wake up and, uh, you know, become a fantastic martial artist. You don't just wake up and be a champion. Uh, you've got to practice these things, and you've got to do it on a gradient scale. You know, you get better a little bit at a time. 
you know, and so me having those moments just like you and everybody has them, you know, it's about building momentum and keeping traction so you keep winning because that's what's going to propel you, you know, towards doing better and having successes. You know, it's once you find the winning thing, you just, you keep on taking those same actions. You keep on doing those same things that propel you forward. Mm. Fascinating. Awesome, man. Is there a, a pivotal point or a decision moment where you decided that it was time for you to um, go out on your own and make your own brand? Um, and I say that because with any any instructor, any person doing anything, the one of the key steps is that you emulate until you innovate. So you, you copy the people that you have put in a teacher role or a mentor role, and you copy yeah. them until you get to a point where you can start to innovate on your own. And then the natural progression of that is that you step out on your own and you do your own thing. Um, and that is a that key process right there of stepping out and doing your own thing is, I think, is a an art form that is lost in instructors because quite a few instructors feel that once someone becomes their student that they need to be their their student for the rest of their life and they have to emulate them for the rest of their life, which is that would be the equivalent of having your child live with you forever rather than accepting the fact they're going to turn into a man and a woman and move out on their own. Is there like a pivotal decision or pivotal moment where you decided, okay, now it's time for me to market my own brand, Diesel Muay Thai, and market myself as an entity outside of, say, my father or anyone else that I've trained under? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it happened for me. Um, that decision, that moment, I would say is about a year and a half ago because, you know, people around Muay Thai obviously know Master Tati and his, you know, his accomplishments, and, you know, they're ginormous for what he did for the sport, you know, bringing it to Europe, bringing it to the States, Um but only that that's the individual success. You know, that's that's who he was. That's what he wanted to do. And once I realized, okay, what is my goal? I got to be true to my own goal. Um, I can't be anybody else. So what is I want to do? And I decided to follow that plan. That's really where it happened. Mm. And thus, Diesel Moikai was born. And <laughs> that's right. I wanted to put my own spin. I wanted to um, bring in my own concepts and ideas, um, and it's still going. Yeah, it's improving on that gradient as you spoke, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a step every day. I mean, uh, yeah, it's a little bit every day. That's really how it works. Mm. Awesome. So we always ask people, and I said we could have talked here forever. I, I could do a easily several more hours of this, which means we have to have you back for sure. But um, we always end the uh, podcast with this one question. And the question is, if there were three ways to embody the warrior spirit in the modern-day world that you would like to pass on to others, to your students, to your friends, to people who who believe in what you believe in, what would those three pieces of advice be? Wow. That is a great question. Um, number one, I think, would be to persevere. The ability to persevere, um, and that is really, you know, the warrior spirit is, you know, being able to persevere through life's difficulties and things that are going to happen to you. But if you just keep on at it, you're going to make it. Mm. Um Two, I would say a real important factor would be to study. And I, and I don't mean in the traditional sense of go to school and study. I mean study knowledge. You know, look for who has knowledge that can change your life. Because it all comes down to you. You're the only body, you're the only person who can uh, do it for yourself. And you're going to get that through knowledge. So I, I would say study. No matter what it is in life, you know, the, the warrior spirit is the ability to, you know, everybody starts as a beginner, right? Right. So that warrior spirit, if we're looking at a, as a, as a classical martial artist, he started as a beginner and he had to study. Three, 
to, mm, I think would be the ability to work hard. Whatever it is that is to work hard because the the definition of work hard is the completion of intention. Hmm. Completion of intention. The action or fact of intending, an aim that guides action. So it's kind of like you're carrying that why with you, that overall purpose, you know, why am I doing that? That guides the action. So completing that is very important. Outstanding. Outstanding. Dale, how old are you now? 24. You're, you're 24? Yes, sir. So I, we literally then met 10 years ago, and you may be one of the wisest people I have ever talked to to be so young which is a feat in itself in this modern-day world to have somebody to come out with your your uh, ability to communicate, not only like physical traits, but like these more deep spiritual, mental, psychological aspects. You would feel, I feel like when I'm talking to you, I'm talking to someone that I would consider a master, and uh, which is really rare and why I surround myself with people like yourself. So I'm very, very honored to have you here on the show. Um, are, there, are there any um, – if someone wants to train with you in okay. any capacity, how would they be able to do that? First of all, I know that you have your, your decent Muay Thai DVDs that are out now, correct? That's right, yes. Okay. And how would so, they go about getting those? Well, what I do now with all of my students is I offer exclusively private training sessions. Okay. Um because I feel that a person can really get out of it what they want when you're one-on-one with the instructor. So there's anybody that would like, if they're ever coming to Vegas and they would like to train with me, I'm open to anybody learning. I think some of my students have come your way um, heading to Vegas uh, just recently. I think one of my students came your way. Yes, uh, Mark Barber, who's yes. a really guy, really great. Thank you for the recommendation. Oh yeah, he um, he messaged me on Facebook and asked me like who 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 to train with in Vegas, and I immediately told him told him you, and I told him uh, Crew Sean. So get in touch with these guys; they're the best. So I'm glad he got a chance yep. to to con- contact you. And I always send people your way when when they go to Vegas. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, and it's been you. really fun talking to you on the podcast too. Yeah, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to do this again, even off the podcast. Um, and so they can get your DVDs as well through your website. They can. It's uh, dieselmoitai.com. Uh, the first one has just been launched, and there's going to be a series of ten DVDs, um, which will go into the art of Muay Thai, um, and they'll be able to get those very soon. Awesome. And all these things are going to be put in the show notes. So when they go to the website and they pull up the podcast, they'll have the link to your website and um, any other pages uh, that they can contact you. There'll be videos of all the awesome stuff that Crudale is doing. Um, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been truly, truly an honor, truly an enlightened experience for myself. And um, in closing, I just want to tell everyone to keep on embracing the warrior spirit within um, keep searching for knowledge, keep expanding yourself, keep trying to find ways to improve yourself through your physical, mental, or spiritual practices. Truly been an honor, and we will talk to you all soon. Take care. Thank you.